Welcome to Season 2 of the Development Locker Podcast, where we progress to the how, where we aim to continue your development throughout the 2021-2022 season and start to proactively prepare you for your transition come the end of the season. Over the next 12 months, we will cover a variety of topics that you, the listener, have voted for taking ownership of your own development and transitional needs and those of other academy players and graduates. This podcast is a free platform that aims to put you, the person behind the player, at the forefront of everything we do, so that we may enhance your academy experience via our guidance, advice and support on a weekly basis. Each week, we invite guests to tell us their stories, share their experiences, so that you can take on board key messages that will positively impact your future. Our objective is to cover the basics well, provide you with the additional 1% in a variety of areas and give you an opportunity to continue your lifelong development as you transition through the academy system towards fulfilling your aspirations of becoming a professional football player and living a fulfilled life after football. These are your chosen episodes. This is your interview from The Locker. On the journey, we bring you a variety of guests. In the main, academy graduates, on occasion, those who are still performing in the game, but all who have lived experiences, similar to those you are going through every day. And today's guest is another example of this. Alex is someone who is breaking the mold, setting new examples for his peers to share those lived experiences while still performing at the highest level. He could quite easily and solely focus on his football, concentrating on maintaining his position in the team, contributing to his club success. But Alex is more than that. He's offering his insight, his advice on what to expect when pursuing a career in football, what to look out for along the way, and also sharing his rehabilitation journey as he recovers from injury. For me, This is a groundbreaking episode in that we have someone who has lived the academy experience, is living the dream in getting paid to do what he loves, while going above and beyond in giving something back to players of all ages and levels. I think I've bigged him up enough, so let's get into the interview and let's bring you Alex's interview from the locker. Welcome to the latest edition of the Development Locker podcast and the journey. And Alex is going to uh, tell you all about his career. So we're going to get straight into it because I don't want to miss a second. I don't want to miss the bits of juicy information that Alex is going to give you guys, our listeners. So, Alex, first off, in terms of questions, you're at Crystal Palace's Academy. Can you tell us about your early experience of football? You know, what the, the, the academy was like at Crystal Palace, how you got to join that academy and kind of where that led to. Yeah, well, um, I joined Palace at the age of nine. Funnily enough, I had a trial um, a few months before. Um, and at that age, I didn't really want to leave 
my Sunday league team. Um, so I sort of, I didn't give it my all. Um, was moaning at dad, oh, I don't want to go. Because at that age, it's all about just playing, enjoying football. Signed, it was a bit of a, not a reality check, but I sort of quite enjoyed it. Um, then funnily enough, a few months later, I um, got another um, trial down at Palace. And this time, it sort of, my dad sort of had a word with me and said, what it was all about and what it could entail. Um, so I gave it a bit more or I appreciated it a bit more and I got signed. So yeah, I was at Palace from the age of nine. Um, and just from then, it was always, almost, you know, there's only a couple of us in the school, fortunately enough, that were in academies. And it was almost like a, it was just a great thing to be a part of an academy. You know, it's, you're seen as one of the best players, um, although you don't always feel it. But, you know, when you're going abroad, um, under 13s and you're walking around a training ground and you're bumping into the likes of Wayne Routledge, Andrew Johnson, um, yeah. all these players. As a young nine-year-old, it's almost like, wow. Um, and it gives you a real taste. So Palace was always a great academy. You know, it's known for bringing its youngsters through. So it was almost, I always had an idea um, and a goal of being one of those. Um, so, yeah, that was really my academy upbringing. Um one I really enjoyed. Um, I think Palace was a great, um, a great base for me to start with because you know it's, it was where I was from. It's where I grew up. My family were Palace fans. Some are Chelsea, but most were Palace. Um, so yeah, it was a real good place to learn my trade, shall I say? Did you have ups and downs during your time at, at Crystal Palace? You know, through the, the the age groups and the phases from the foundation phase, the youth development, and then obviously into the PDP where. You know, you, you signed as a as a scholar. Was it pretty much plain sailing? Was it always onwards and upwards? Or was the ups and downs along the ways of not necessarily playing a lot of minutes or having to play down an age group? You know, what what was your journey like within the academy? Um, I was quite fortunate actually in in respect to I didn't really have any lows that I can remember. It was all pretty plain sailing. Um, I mean. I played with my age group up until about under-14s and then towards my end-of-14s, I sort of stepped up with the under-16s, um, training with them. Um, you didn't really have an under-15s back then. It was more of a 15s, 16s. It was sort of a weird um, age group. So I was playing with the 16s um, and then my first year of scholar, well, before, and towards the end of that season where I moved up with the 16s, I found myself playing with the 18s um, at right. 15. Um in the midfield there. Um, and then first year scholar, I was with the youth team from the jump. Um, so yeah, I didn't really have any um, real lows. I mean, I was quite fortunate in the fact that I'd done quite well. Um, I had my debut at 16 whilst I was still at school in the FA Cup. Wow. So yeah, my time at Palace really was full of highs. I think the worst thing for me that happened was probably I went away with, pre, um, with the first team for pre-season one year and I come back played in a pre-season game, done well. Um, and on the Monday, I sort of broke down from the intensity of training. I don't think my body was quite ready for that step. Um, and that was no fault of anyone's. It was just a li probably a little bit too intense for me the week of um, pre-season training. So I sort of sometimes I wonder what would have been if I hadn't broken down there, whether I would have been a part of the first team for a bit longer or what. Um, I'm not one to really dwell on things like that, but... You know, just little things like that sometimes make me wonder what could have been. 
So, I mean, you said that you played up, you know, so the age of 15, but you played up into the 18s. Was that kind of a, an indicator of things that were to come? So, obviously, your scholarship contract and then eventually signing pro, um, for, you know, pro contract with, with, with Palace. Or you're pretty much a grounded individual where you just thought, no, this doesn't mean anything. This is just an opportunity that I'm going to seize and whatever will be, will be. Or we the opposite end where you're thinking, all right, I get it. I'm a 15-year-old playing for the 18s. I'm already making massive inroads and the future looks good. Um, I think a bit of both, to be honest. Um, I'm, I've always been quite grounded and I don't like to get carried away. So it was... It was just about enjoying football and playing football, and I saw it as my performances had been acknowledged, yeah, and I was doing well, so I'd been pushed on. But then at the same time, I couldn't allow myself to get carried away because, for me, I was just fortunate. You know, I had boys in the same um, team as me who weren't playing that level, still training in the evenings, and I was training during the days then, um, yeah. missing school. So, yeah, you know, you sort of have that inkling that you're doing well. And if things carry on this way, I'll be offered my scholarship and hopefully a professional contract. But at the same time, you know how quickly football can change. And you see so many along the journey through the academy, you see so many of your mates not get contracts or get injured and not get a contract. So at the back of your mind, you're always thinking, I'm just one injury or I'm one bad um, experience away from falling off. So yeah, you've got to try and I tried to keep focus on the end goal, but at the same time, it was hard as a kid to be playing in the youth team and not think I'm almost there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And you mentioned there, obviously, I've mentioned it as well, about you signed a professional term, so you signed that at the age of 17. So what was that like? Did that live up to expectations? Was it, because quite a lot of athletes talk about you know, that journey and the destination of reaching their Everest, but it's never quite the same once they get there or once they do, they're kind of like, oh, what now? Now, obviously, kind of off air, we've had a talk about a, a few bits, you know, kind of the dream and, and, and you know, making it and uh, and all the rest of it. But signing that pro deal at, at 17, did that live up to everything you, you dreamed it would be? Or was it just another destination along that way to a career in football? Looking back now, it was just another destination. Um, I mean, when you're a young boy and you think I'm going to be professional and I'm going to sign a contract, you almost think once I sign that pro contract, everything you see in the media and everything you know about professional football is going to come to you on a plate. Um, mm. And it's not the case, you know. It's, signing that pro contract is only the beginning, really, of the journey. Um so yeah, it was it was a nice moment. It was a nice day for the family, obviously. But for me, it was just another step on the journey. And looking back now, I maybe should have appreciated the whole thing more because um, it's a significant thing, you know, signing a pro contract. Not many are lucky enough to do so. Um, no, and I think true. back then I was so driven and focused that maybe, I think it's probably throughout my whole career, I've probably... Looking back now, I should have enjoyed things that happened more. But because, like I say, I was in that mindset of what's next, what's next, I maybe didn't make the most of the moment and that um, time in particular. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of that, you, you, you signed your pro deal at, at 17. And obviously, and we'll talk about your platform in a minute, 
flying the ball and the work you do with that. But on your blog that you do in association with your platform, you mentioned about um, tips for academy pros and particularly around their mind and their body. So can you tell us a little bit, and most importantly, our listeners who will either be academy players or those first-year professionals who come from the academy system, what pro tips there are and why you felt the need to kind of share those tips with others? Um, I mean, I just think that looking back now, I would have liked to have somewhere that I could have gone to and seen someone who has walked the path that I want to go on and is given their advice and tips back. Um, so, yeah, you know, I just I put that out yesterday, just 10 top tips, um, not even top 10 tips, but just tips that I think can help, you know, young players. And it's not um, it's nothing to do with technique or anything. It's more off the pitch and psychologically. Um, and one of them was take care of your mind and your body. Yeah. Um, because I think everyone, you know, talks about, everyone knows that you have to take care of your body to be a, an athlete in anything. Um, you know, you have to eat the right things, you have to drink the right things, sleep the right hours. But no one really talks about the mind. I know it's becoming a bit more um, prevalent and people are taking more notice of it. But when you're on that journey of football, there's so many stresses and pressures and, you know, you've got families relying on you, you've got fans, you've got teammates and it can take its toll. So that tip there was just more of, you know, players have got to find a way to come away from football and have something to switch off because I think it's so important, you know, it's you're mm. told to live and breathe football. Yeah. But it's so hard to do it all the time because you give it your rule and sometimes you don't see your rewards. So if you're going home and you're not seeing your rewards and you're just thinking about football, you're going to have low points and it might affect you negatively. So just if you can have that space where you go, I don't know, it could be PlayStation, it could be writing, it could be reading, anything. But I just think players need to take care of their mind as well as their body now. Um, yeah. Just to help I build mean, the stresses and pressures football can come with. You mentioned there about you wish you'd have had someone. Do you think, as a young pro, did you think like that at that age, or has that come later on in your career? And I suppose the follow-up question to that is, if that was in place, do you think young pros would take up that advice, that guidance, that mentoring ship, as it were? Um, I'll be honest with you, probably not. I mean, at that age, you sort of think you know everything. Mm. Um, you don't. Sometimes you feel like you don't need that advice, you don't need that support because you're doing well. But that's why I've sort of created it because I was that person, you know, I signed the pro early. I made my debut at 16. I was highly regarded within the Crystal Palace Academy. Um, and whether that worked out or not, um, if I had known what I knew now, I would have tapped into someone. Maybe my pride would have not accepted it, but that's what I want to get across to people is that Let's take it from my experiences. A lot of people are out there to help you. You've just got to make sure you're open to it. Yeah. I mean, so you mentioned there about you kind of transitioning things coming to an end. So when did your career with, with Crystal Palace come to an end? How did that come about? Or what was your 
next steps into football then? Um, well, I went, I had a series of loans um, away from the club and they sort of gave me a real eye-opener into the real world of football. Um, I went non-league, I went to League One, I went to League Two and I was playing in the 23s and I was I was enjoying it. You know, it was a lovely, comfortable setup at Palace, um, playing the best young young players in the country, you know, going to Chelsea's and whatnot. But going out into men's football was where I really enjoyed it. Um, the realness of it almost. Um, I, I think 23 football is a great thing for players, but I think once you get to a certain age, yeah. you need to then go and play men's football. And I come back from alone at Portsmouth. That didn't go um, well at all, really, if I'm honest. Um, but I sort of come back and I, I had six months left on my contract and I sort of said to my agent, look, I want to play men's football. What a Palace thinking with regards to me for next season. And they sort of come back and just said, look, we're not sure. Um, Alan Pardew had just come in. And they just said, look, we're not sure. The manager obviously hasn't seen you. Um, so that sort of made my mind up. That sort of told me, if you're not sure about me after 12 years, then maybe I'm not going to get anything. So I sort of said to my agent, look, I'm, at, I'm 21 now. I need to be playing men's football week in, week out. So yeah, that's sort of how my time at Palace come to an end. Um, I ended up signing for Colchester. I'd been there on loan the season before and they were still interested. So luckily enough, I had that option on the table that I took. Um, and yeah, you know, at 21, I thought, it's time now to go out away from comfort of home, away from what I knew and just go and really find my feet in the game and in the world. I mean, you mentioned a number of clubs there and the number of loans that you've had. What And, and you've obviously spoke quite positively about them. Why were they, why were they positive? I mean, you, you mentioned their introduction to men's football, but what else did each of those bring did they each bring something different or would they all was there a common theme throughout that of the loan where you just think great it's just giving me an opportunity to get on the pitch get some minutes prove yourself and essentially do what you love or was the other things going on in the background that you feel was as benefit to you as a player um i mean the first couple loans i went to um out in non-league to eastbourne borough and sutton united um and they, I was still living at home. So they were just more about that 19-year-old going out, playing football and proving to Palace that I could play yeah. in men's football. Um, and then at 20, I went to Colchester. Um, had to move away from home. I was living in a clubhouse with another teammate. Um, so that, they were all about really just showing Palace I could play football. But it wasn't until I went to Colchester that I really started using that loan experience for something off of the pitch as well. And that was just little things. Like, I'd never lived away from home. I'd never had to cook for myself, um, clean. Um, just little things that you take for granted whilst living at home with your parents. Um, I really had to sort of grow up um, and just become more self-aware. And then it was the same at Portsmouth. Um, I lived away while I was at Portsmouth. Um, but that was a completely different experience. I didn't enjoy that one as much, but I would put that down to things that went wrong on the pitch um, that then impacted my life away from football. So, yeah, they all provided me with different things, but they all, the one thing I got from every single one was how much I wanted to play men's football and first team football. So you mentioned there about the, the cooking, the cleaning, 
what does that actually look like in real life? Is that you struggling, ordering takeaways and maybe not, like you said, mentioned before about putting the right things in your body, you know, education around that? Was that literally, you know, turning up and, you know, pestering the kit man for fresh kit because you've not done the washing at home? Or were you pretty good from day one, just got on it because it was a case of sink or swim that nobody else was going to cook your food for you, nobody else was going to do your washing? So you pretty much was switched on and, 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 and went with it. How does that really look like in real life in terms of your real life? Did it did you struggle or was it just another obstacle for you to overcome? Um, I was actually all right, I'll be honest. Um I sort of as I come through as I was like at when I was at Palace, I sort of started learning to cook. Um they was quite good with things like that, you know, they recipes and they sort of put on a class a couple of times where the chef would show us how to cook certain meals um, but living with parents obviously you know everything was done for me as parents do um, but you know I always had a knew how to cook so going away it wasn't a case of takeaways every night or um, struggling with what to do because I sort of had that grounding and that discipline from living at home you know where it wasn't everything was done for me literally it was comfortable but you know I still cook myself meals if mum and dad were out or if I had a match the next day and they was all eating something different I'd have to cook myself something so it, I did take to it quite well the um, cooking and cleaning etc but I on the flip side I've been with players who I know I've really struggled you know and it is a case of takeaways or not putting the right things in their bodies but yeah I sort of had that grounding and it goes back to Palace you know they sort of they did show me the right way to do things and luckily I listened and took it on board for when I went away. Yeah. So what's your what's your signature meal then? Come on, reveal your secrets. What's your what's your go to? What's what what have you got in your locker cooking wise? Um scrambled egg on toast. Oh yeah, you gotta stick with the basics, haven't you? Yeah, it's pretty good that. Pretty good. Yeah, no, I don't mind a pasta dish, a carbonara. Um carbonara I'm quite good at or fajitas. It's quite basic. It's it's nothing extravagant. You want to see a Michelin star, but it, it fills the belly. Yeah, it does. that's the point. That's the point. So, yeah, no no problem with that. And then in, in another post on, on your blog, which obviously we'll give details on uh, on the bio and on our uh, website um, after this episode goes live, but in another post, you title um, another one about chasing the dream. So in terms of what does chasing the dream mean to you and what effect does that have on or what effect did it have on you as a young person um chasing the dream to me it's just you know you have this dream from a young age and football can take you anywhere around the world up and down the country and boys and girls you know this at the drop of a hat could go from living down south to up north for a year or two years whatever the contract is and that for me is chasing the dream you know it's there's no obstacles to what you will do and you're willing to do to go and achieve success in a game. And I mean, as a young player, I was quite fortunate, like I said, that I went through the whole way at Palace. So I was always chasing a dream, but it was within a comfort zone. I never really had that. Until I left, I didn't really had that, not discomfort, but I never really was pushed um, and under distress to really chase the dream. You know, it wasn't until I, left Palace to go to culture so that I really contemplated what football was about, if that makes sense, as in the sense yeah. of I was living away from home 
just to play football. Um, and not many um, people, how, not many. How hard in, was that? Was it, it really was, difficult, or did, was it again another obstacle for you to come over? Is it something that was could potentially have been a deal breaker where you just thought, I can't do this? I, you either need to find a club nearer to home, or were you ever contemplating giving up football because it just was too hard to live away from family and friends? Um, it got to that point. It did get to that point. But, I mean, initially when I went to Colchester, it was two hours away from home and I was car schooling it. And it was all right. It was um, it was a slog, but there was a few of us doing it. So it was okay. Um, when them players went on to leave, I got a place down in Colchester. I bought a flat. Um, and then the first season was all right. And then my partner fell pregnant, but she was still living back in Croydon. Um, right. So I didn't really realise at the time, but I sort of missed out on the whole pregnancy. I know she'd come down on weekends and I'd go back, etc. But from a f- looking back, I missed out on a lot then. Um, and then things started to go bad on the pitch for myself, you know, with team selection and whatnot, falling out of managers' plans. Um, and then it was really a case of, do you know what? I need to just enjoy my football, but I also want to be closer to home for the little man's the little man was born and, you know, I just thought, I can't, I want to enjoy my football, but I also want him to grow up around his family. So then I ended up going back to, I went to Maystone um, and that was when I really, I'll be honest, I was close there at giving up after culture. So I sort of, I'd had enough, um, the politics of the game, it just sort of had really got me down. And if I had had something else to walk into, I think I might have walked, um, but I didn't. And I sort of, got my dust myself off and went back and started to enjoy my football and ever since then I've enjoyed it um, so I don't know if that's just because I hit that breaking point or whether it was just a case of being back close to the home that I started to really enjoy it again Yeah, that must have been really tricky like you said, you know having a partner and yeah, he's, he's pregnant with your child and you're having to, yeah, you're more than maybe up to two hours away I think those are the, the, the intricacies and the realities that a lot of people don't see, don't contemplate. And I would guess as well, maybe put a lot of people off maybe going on that loan. That is another opportunity to kind of reset, reinvigorate their career. And maybe that's what they're thinking in the back of their, their brains of, mm, yeah, I want to get out on the pitch. I want to play minutes. I want to prove myself. You want to prove to your club that you're good enough. But, oh, actually, that opportunity is two, three, four hours away, yeah, I can't do that. So, yeah, those are the things they don't tell you, do they, really, in, in, in terms of the pursuing the dream and all that. From the outside looking in, it all looks rosy and, oh, yeah, what have you got to complain about? You're playing professional football. But when it comes to, yeah, the day-to-day struggles, yeah, nobody kind of tells you those bits, do they? No, 100%. I mean, it says that one of my things that I always try and say to people is we're humans first. Mm. Um, we have families, we have lives away from football as well. And, you know, we've sacrificed a lot for football. Um, but, yeah, what everyone sees isn't always what actually goes on. It's far from it. Yeah. So, I mean, jumping onto your platform now, so find the ball. Tell us a bit about that, the reason why you're doing it. So, you're, you're still a professional footballer. I know a lot of players who will wait till they've either retired or just... I'm guessing you're neither. So you're still actively, I know you're recovering from injury at the moment, but you're still um, pursuing and you know, a career in, in football. So 
why that platform? Why now? And what do you hope to achieve by kind of setting that up? Um, well, firstly, it's it sort of come about, I've always had one eye on after a career, but I've never really had any idea what I want to do. I've always wanted to work with young children and young players. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in, when I was at Palace in the youth team, there was used to be a, um, the league football education used to run a blog and the boy that used to do it for Palace um, got released and I took over the baton and started doing it and I really enjoyed writing and just um, yeah and I found sort of a joy from it and just like an escapism um, so I sort of when I got injured I thought well, what can I do to fill the time um, so I thought I'd start a blog um, so really it's just you know it's for the next generation to discover what comes on the journey the highs the lows um, everything that I talk about is stuff that's happened to me or that I know has happened to people um, it's just really so they'll be more aware and perhaps be able to handle situations better than I was at that time um, and then it's also for the fans and those outside of the football environment um, just to see what really goes into it you know footballers get a lot of bad press um, you know and it's always 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 associated with money but like I said before, we are human beings first and the vast majority will never ever see a fraction of the money associated with being a footballer. But even when I have conversations with some family members and friends, you know, it's they almost think it's a cruise, the journey of a footballer. So if I could just, you know, give people a real insight into what goes on, it might, you know, make footballers a bit more human and a bit more likeable. Oh, I'm certainly, I don't think they're, they're, they're not likeable at the moment, but I think I certainly think you're part about the fans. I think that's quite an interesting one because I, I know quite a lot of platforms that are out there. And yeah, I think it's important that fans are educated on you know, what we just spoke about in the previous few questions of what the realities are like of, a, of an academy player, of a professional player, what they have to go through, the sacrifices, the dedication. I think, you know, and count myself as a football fan I think we think we know but we probably don't even know we're not even scratching the surface on what what it is actually like day to day you know you're currently suffering from from injury um you know doing your rehabilitation what's that social isolation like where you're not with your teammates on a daily basis where you're not having that banter if you are on loan you're two hours away from your family and friends so normally if you're injured you probably just you know, engross yourself into the family network or see a lot more friends than you would do normally when you were playing, but you can't do that because you're, you know, two, three hours away from home. All these things kind of contribute. And I don't think fans are aware of the actual nitty-gritty, the 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 real, yeah, ugly truth of what it's like to be to be a football. So yeah, hats off to you on, on that one. And, and and moving on to some of the bits. So like I said, obviously we'll give details of uh find the ball and, and the website and the and the blog post that you do and your social media platforms. But you talked about the sacrifice. What sacrifices have, have you had to make? And have you regretted any of those sacrifices? Or have you looked back in time and thought, oh, actually, maybe I didn't make enough sacrifices to maybe get a, to play on a bigger platform than, than what you are doing now? Or do you not live with regrets? Is that not how you work? Um, I try not to live with regrets. You know, I believe everything happens for a reason um, and everything's just a part of the journey and it's the way it's meant to be. But um, just regarding sacrifices, you know, I made all the 
all the ones on the tin, you know, the living right, the missing family events, you know, just because I've had a game or, you know, missing Christmas because I'm uh, traveling away. So all the yeah. normal sacrifices on the tin for a footballer I've sort of made. Um, but then it's like the little ones, like I missed a year or nine months, you know, of my partner being pregnant almost. She was back home and I missed it, that. Um, so yeah, there's little sacrifices like that that sometimes I wonder were they worth it. But then I, I can't think like that because they've helped me become the person I am, the player I am today. Um, so yeah, you know, sacrifices are part of it, and that's sort of something that you have to accept as a player. Um, it doesn't mean they're easy to make. It doesn't mean they're easy to go through. But you know, you just sort of hope and wish that they will one day pay off. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think you can plan effectively. You can make those sacrifices. But yeah, I think some days is. Not hope, that sounds probably a little bit negative, but I think there's a bit of slice of luck, isn't it? Like, you'll, you'll know better than me, your loans, you know, are you there at a time when somebody who's in your position gets gets injured and then you seize that opportunity and you never look back? But, um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think a, a lot of people don't realise that the, the number, not just, I think we all know that you do make sacrifices, but I think the high number of sacrifices you do have to make even when you do turn professional, even when you are kind of riding on the crest of a wave and 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 from the outside looking in, seem to have that dream life as a professional. I don't think a lot of people do fully respect the, the amount of sacrifice. I know I speak from uh, from personal experience when I came into the academy system six and a bit years ago, I used to think that of academy players of like I couldn't quite get my head around why they weren't maximizing their potential and fulfilling every second of their day to be the best that they possibly could be. And I'm thinking, God, you know, there's lads out there who give the right arm to be doing what you're doing and this, that. But actually when you spend year after year in it and you see, you know, like you said, you know, some of you, some of their teammates kind of not making the grade and those who fall out of football and those who have an injury and, and all the rest of it, it's, yeah, sometimes you don't fully respect the, the sacrifices they're making and, you know, they've lived with that, you've lived with that from the age of eight, which, you know, it's, yeah, it's almost impossible to try and empathise and understand your your position, your perspective on life, because you've lived it. And, yeah, from the age of eight, you've gone through the academy system and you're still pursuing a career in football. And all those sacrifices along the way just must total up behind them. So, yeah, more credit to, to you lads for doing it. And then Thank you. in terms of a way of life of a footballer then, I mean, what is life as a professional football? Like I said, you, you're injured at the moment, so you're not probably getting a lot of minutes on the pitch. But under normal circumstances, you know, to those academy players who are pursuing a career in in football, what is it like day to day, week to week as a as a football? Um, it's the best job, that's for certain. Um, you know, the reward you can get from it, the enjoyment you can get from it. Um, but it's hard. It is. It's not easy. You know, you have to be disciplined. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with it, you know, um, contracts, team selection, um, the ups and downs. And, you know, you're going to have ups and downs, but the ups always outweigh the lows, as bad as the lows we've seen. But yeah, you know, being a footballer, there is no better job. Um, 
I, I, that's all I've ever wanted to be. And I've achieved it to a certain degree. So, yeah, you know, it's it's not an easy, because like you say, the sacrifices, the lifestyle that you have to live, there is a lot you have to give up. But at the same time, the rewards from that them sacrifices can be monumental, really. So as a, as a professional now, what, when you were an academy player and you perceived what a professional career would be, what's been the most surprising thing that you're now living that dream, pursuing that career, continuing that career now? What, what's the thing that's more surprised you in professional football that you didn't really see or envisage when you were an academy player? Um, I thought it was all glamour. I thought it was all, you know, high lifestyle, um, mm. easy life. I've been, that's me being honest. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably been the biggest shock. You know, you sort of think, oh, I'm a footballer, I'm going to have no struggles, you know, away from football, it would be fine. Financially, um, problems on the pitch, you know, it's all going to be smooth sailing. But it's, um, yeah, like I said, the highs and lows, there's ups and downs, it's twists and turns, it's ahead of a journey. Um, but yeah, it's one I wouldn't change for the world. You know, I wouldn't change anything that's happened because it has made me the player I am today and the person I am today. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, in terms of today, so you're currently recovering from injury. You've got potentially returning in February, and mentioned there the social isolation and and the lack of the the, the dressing room banter, which a lot of current and former professionals all kind of yeah put down to what they miss the most. So how how do you deal with that? How are you dealing with not necessarily taking part fully in in training on a daily, weekly basis? Those you know walkthroughs, the you know traveling away on the away days on the coach and you know the dressing room banter on a on a match day. How are you coping to kind of bridge those gaps at the moment? Um, yeah, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, nothing can replace that sort of the banter, um, the feeling of playing. And obviously, them three points like on a Saturday or a Tuesday. Um, but one thing I try and do is I just, you know, I've obviously had experiences with that, so I just try and remember that and try and use that when I'm doing my rehab or I'm, you know, I'm on the bike, absolutely blowing out my backside. Um, you know, just try and visualize myself being back in them positions, you know, winning games of football, back out there with the boys, you know. Um, so yeah, that's what I try and do. Um, also, I'm a parent. Um, I've got the blog, so I'm, I am busy away from football. It's not like I'm just sat at home um, twiddling my thumbs. So, Does yeah, that help with and... the family? Are they kind of taking your focus off your injury and you kind of being able to throw yourself into that type of your life as, as well? Yeah, massively. I mean, that is one thing I sort of... I had an injury when I was in Colchester and I didn't have any children at the time. Um, so, yeah, I just buried myself in, um, in Netflix and TV series after TV series and you know now it's a lot more enjoyable not enjoyable being injured but it's given me something else to appreciate um, and maybe before the injury I was so focused and involved with football I probably you know put that to the back seat um, and I didn't appreciate it but you know this sort of last nine months has really opened my eyes to what's important do you still go to games or do you kind of, do you need to shut that off mentally so you're not kind of almost teasing yourself um, of what you've not got to come in the next couple of weeks? Or are you one of those where 
know, you're one of the lads, you want to travel away, you want to be at every home game, sat behind the bench, being an integral member of the squad, or, you know, which way do you do it? Yeah, so I go to, um, I'll go to the home games. Um, okay. I won't go to the away ones. I go to the home games. Um, so, yeah, I'm one of them. I, I want to be involved still, and I do enjoy it. And I'm not one that, I'm not jealous, or I don't get, do you know what I mean? It's, I know I'm injured, and it's rubbish. Um, but I try not to let it get me down. You know, I just try and stay focused on coming back and, you know, sort of cheering them on because when I'm playing, there's going to be someone else who's injured and I know how they're going to feel. And, you know, sometimes when people are moping about, it can bring team morale down and whatnot. So I try and be, a, even though I'm not on the pitch, and try and benefit and, you know, if I see something, I'll mention it to one of the boys or, do you know what I mean? I just try and be a help from afar. Um, and just be there for the boys and support them because whilst I'm on the pitch, that's all I want is support um, from the rest of the team. So, yeah, I just try and be a good teammate even though I can't help them on the pitch at the minute. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it must be tough. What's the, what's the toughest thing you found in recovering from injury and not being able to, to get out of the green stuff and do what you do best? What's the, what's the biggest thing you've missed or the, the, the thing you found the toughest to deal with? Um... It's a tough question because it's all quite tough. Um, it probably is that feeling on a Saturday night, you know, when you get home or you sit down in the change room after the game and you're absolutely exhausted, but you know you've worked hard and you've got that, almost that pride, you know, win, loss or draw, you've gone out and you've given your best for 90 minutes. Um, yeah, there's no real other feeling like that. I don't know if it's just me or other footballers feel the same, but that's probably one of the toughest things about being injured is that fulfilment yeah that you sort of miss out on um you, you obviously can you can find it in other things but there's nothing quite as fulfilling as you know no. playing on a saturday in front of fans and giving your all and competing in football yeah no i bet this isn't but isn't but yeah so in terms of your aspirations for the future you know for the remainder of the season obviously it's to try and return as soon as you can and then, you know, what's the rest of the season look like? What's your aspirations for the future? You're, you're looking to, I mean, what's what's Eastley's target? Are they hoping to get out of out of the division? Or are you looking to just solidify your place in the division and, and, and look on to next season and use that as a springboard? What, what's your aspirations looking like? Um, well, as a club, you know, we want to get out of the league. Um, we want to mm. get promoted. Um, but it's just such a hard league to get out of. One goal yeah. up automatically and one in the playoffs and playoffs are a lottery. Um, so yeah the ambition as a club is to go up um, ambitions for myself is just to get back fit um, as strong as possible and to play as many games as possible this season um, and then whatever happens in the future will happen you know but I just want to make sure I'm in the right place physically and mentally um, for whatever does come my way um, so yeah you know it's just at the minute I'm just trying to take each step by itself so at the minute it's just to get back fit you know because I've had quite a big operation so I don't want to jump the gun because I don't know what state the knee is going to be in when I come back um, so yeah the aim for the minute is just to get back as fit as possible and as strong as possible and I think that's really good what you're doing on your on your platform as well as kind of chatting your progress and your rehabilitation program as well as you know the, the updates I think that's really good for, so for any listeners who are Currently injured, um, then yeah, 
I mean, I'd highly advise you give uh, Alex and his platform a, a follow anyway. But uh, in terms of that, I think it is quite unique to have a current current footballer they're willing to share their journey and um, ups and downs. So I think that's really good, very brave of you, and uh, yeah, very open, honest of you. So yeah, massive respect for that. And we, we finish off each episode um, with piece of advice for our listeners. So one piece of advice for either academy players or, or, or young professionals out there, um, you know, in terms of them pursuing their their, their dream in, in football, have you got one piece of advice that stands out amongst others? Yeah, and this is sort of one thing I've sort of learned over the years, is just to trust the process. Um, no matter what occurs on the journey, just never give up. Um, I know, like, from my, you know, I've been in, at points where I've felt as low as anything and, I couldn't see a way out or it getting any better, but it always did. Um, and now when I look back at them low points, they sort of helped mould me into the player and the person I am. So, yeah, just trust the process as hard as it is. You know, just don't try not to worry and try not to fret because it will all work out in the end and the way it will be will be exactly what it's meant to be. So, yeah, trust the process. That's my one bit of advice I'd give to any academy players now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very wise words and, and speaking from relatively small experiences on the lads, I've had the pleasure to be able to support and get to know and um, in, in terms of their careers, it, it is quite weird how what you just said there about trusting the process and not to fret and, you know, things do work out. They may not work out how they see them. They may not be at the club they saw in their future, but I think, hand on heart, probably 80-90% of those who are still in football, regardless really of level where, where they're at, is they're just enjoying playing. And, you know, I know quite a few lads who, you know, have to drop down, um, you know, a few tiers like yourself to to realise that dream. And, yeah, I think if you ask them now, they, they wouldn't have it any other way because they probably won't get the, the minutes, the success, the, the stories, the experiences, the connections with teammates and lifelong friends that they would have done, that they have done now. You know, they wouldn't have had that if they'd have been, you know, still at a you know, Premier League club, a, a Championship club, League One club, what, what, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think that's a very good, very good piece of advice um, about trusting the process, I think. Yeah, very, very wise, very, uh, very good advice for our listeners. And on behalf of others, I want to thank you, Alex, for taking your time this evening to jump on. And uh, yeah, record this episode. I know for a fact that a lot of lads will be getting plenty from this because there's, you know, the majority of our listeners will be academy players and they can learn from every single one of the journey episodes that we do. Uh, and yours is uh, yours is unique in that it's still happening. It's still occurring, although you're recovering from injury. But uh, yeah, and the fact that you're being very open, very honest in sharing your journey on your platform, looking to give back for nothing, which is very rare. Um, yeah, it's that's why we wanted you to get to come onto the podcast. I know for a fact that uh, our listeners will be following you and your progress, and hopefully learning from you and uh, taking on board some some more pieces of advice. And yeah, their journey will be equally successful as yours. So thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Really do. <laughs> it takes guts selflessness 
and immense courage to do what Alex is doing. By actively being in the world of football and actually doing something out of the norm and that has to be congratulated. What Alex is doing is opening himself up to the world, sharing his story, his journey to anyone and everyone who is willing to watch and listen. I know there will be even greater things to come from Alex as he continues to share his journey, which means there will be greater opportunity for you to learn life lessons in preparation of your career in football, as well as what lays ahead afterwards. Please do reach out to Alex and follow his Fly on the Wall platform to join the journey, details of which will be on our various social media platforms and our website too. Until next week, where the month of December becomes the unofficial month of all things education and academics in the world of academy football, where we bring you three more guests who will be bringing you their own experiences along with a hint or tip or two for you to put into action as we look to support those of you who are entering the examination season. Those of you who continue your scholarship and the academic commitments that go with it and those same scholars as well as graduates in how to find that university. Make that application and get your preferred choice. As we bring you the final few episodes of Interviews from the Locker in 2021. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview from The Locker. Be sure to follow this podcast to access the latest episodes and make sure you share these interviews with your friends, family, teammates and anyone you feel will benefit from the episodes. Look out for behind the scenes footage on our Instagram page, for more information on our Facebook page and be sure to give us a follow on Twitter too. Don't forget to access our website for up-to-date resources as well as contact details for all our guests who appear on the podcast from week to week. All these details can be found in the About section on the podcast platform you have accessed this episode from. We look forward to you joining us next week in listening to more interviews from The Locker.